at six weeks, one of the older ladies at church said, hey, we've had evangelism taught six times and nothing's ever come of it. So at that point, I realized we should bring in stories, um, bring it not just me telling the stories, but bring in the people from the campus ministry who are doing it to tell the stories of how they saw opportunities and made the most of them. And one of those stories was of a student who started reaching out to just a cashier at the grocery store who she saw looked distressed and, and had a good, amazing conversation and was up being able to uplift and glorify God during it. And one of the older ladies in church said, well, I think I can do that. Later on that week, she kept on, she was praying for opportunities, met a lady in the grocery store, ended up driving the lady home because it was raining and ended up that they have been crossing paths for 22 years as she drove her husband to work and the lady was walking to her work at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And uh, she helped to bring this lady back to her faith in Christ. Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I sat down with a trio of ministers who have spent years investing in Christians in college. Chris Buxton, Casey Costin, and Rusty Jordan and I talked about the spiritual challenges facing Christians in public colleges and universities, which is where these three have served collectively for several decades. We talked about how the college years are one of the most formative times of life for developing faith and forming a worldview. When I asked, how do we as the church help disciple these Christian young men and women, I wasn't surprised to hear Chris, Casey, and Rusty talk about the importance of community. I've been podcasting for only about a month now, and I'm starting to lose count of how many times my guests have mentioned the necessity of community for discipleship. I hope you'll be encouraged by the discussion, and if you know anyone in college or anyone who works with college students, would you be willing to share this episode with them? And if you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having on the podcast, would you like and subscribe to Faith in the Folds? And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, guys, thank you all so much for joining us this afternoon here on the podcast. I am excited to dig into our topic today, spiritual challenges facing Christian college students. Before we get started, though, I'd like for each of you to tell us just a little bit about yourselves, kind of where you are in, uh, in ministry, and talk just kind of briefly about your experience with, uh, with campus ministry. Chris, can we start off with you, sir? Sure. Chris Buxton. I live in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I was a campus minister for uh, 23 years until this past August when I launched a new organization called U-Life, as in University Life. Mm -hmm. uh, as of this week, it's U-Life, Inc. We just got incorporated, so it's now U-Life, oh. Inc. Um, you can find us at ulifeplanting.org on, the, on, a, on our website. Uh, but I was, uh, uh, for 23 years, a campus minister in Arkansas for about 12 years at Arkansas Tech University in Russellville, Arkansas, and then for the last uh, 11 or so years at Arkansas State, which is my alma mater, uh, replanted a campus ministry there and, and, and worked there uh, as the director of that ministry up until August when we launched this new organization called ULife, yeah. which is devoted to uh, coaching and consulting and helping new campus ministries get planted and started. Very cool. Yeah. I like you life Inc too. It almost sounds like a, like a tattoo parlor or something that uh, <laughs> it's got a cool kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Well, thank Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Casey, what about you, sir? 
Yeah, Casey Costin uh, here in Newark, Delaware. Uh, only been in uh, Delaware about a year and a half. Done campus ministry though for 17 years. Uh, most of it at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. And um, God opened some doors to partner with Rusty to come up here and uh, just have been really thankful to be part of the, the work that's going on here in Delaware. So um, I'll just stop there for now and Rusty can share a little bit more about uh, the partner organization that, that we're in together. Yeah, cool. Rusty, you want to take it away, sir? Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm Rusty Jordan, and I've been in student ministry for a little over 13 years. And before that, I was a butcher, computer programmer, and a bunch of other fun stuff. Um, but I really see how uh, young adults' lives need to be transformed and changed, and how these colleges is that place for it. Yeah. Uh, when I moved up here to Delaware five and a half years ago, our board had a vision of planting new campus missions, and so we slowly started moving in that direction, uh, using a discipleship model. Um, how are we investing in a few people who can then invest in others? And instead of a more, you got to have a building model. Right. And so two and a half years ago, I guess it was actually two years ago this this month, uh, we interviewed Casey and invited him to come up and join us in Delaware uh, to partner with us on this mission of planting in the Northeast uh, campus missions. And so he came up and he's been joining us there. And um, just this last month, we relocated uh, my position uh, closer to a lot of the places where we do a lot of our recruiting. So I'm now in Ada, Oklahoma, helping them uh, relaunch their campus ministry down here. Very cool. I, I, the very first thing that I noticed uh, when you uh, when we were talking before we started recording is that you've consistently referred to this work as campus missions. I almost always hear it described as campus ministry. Is there a particular reason? I, I know I didn't prompt y'all with this question, but is there a particular reason why you go for the language of campus missions, maybe rather than uh, campus ministry? Yeah, um, when especially up there in the University of Delaware, it's a missions field, and we need to continue to look at a college campus as a missions field, and not just another type of ministry like uh, youth ministry or children's ministry, but it's a missions field where we need to be focusing on outreach and evangelism and making yeah. disciples. That, that definitely makes a lot of sense, especially if you think about a college campus as kind of its own country. I mean, you know, making the necessary adjustments. But if you think about it like its own country, it's got its own culture, it's got its own demographics, um, you know, language, I guess, so to speak. That uh, that really makes a lot of sense. Guys, uh, the first question I kind of pitched to you all uh, as we were you know, kind of brainstorming about this was uh, was this. What are two or three of the main issues facing main spiritual issues facing Christian college students today, especially students at a, maybe a public uh, college or university. Chris, do you got one that you want to share with us, sir? Yeah, I think that it is pretty crucial to, to frame that question in, in, a, in terms of what occurs during those years that we typically call the college years. We so often during those years are are forming friendships that will be uh, with us for the, often for the rest of our lives, and we, you know, we we realize that we inevitably become like the people that we spend the most time with. Uh, it's during those years, oftentimes, if someone is going to get married, that they find a spouse, or shortly thereafter, that they find a spouse. Obviously, college is the place where we begin to figure out our vocational calling, and and we figure out what we're going to do professionally for perhaps the rest of our lives, some cases not. But um, 
I think the most important thing probably that happens during those years is the formation of worldview. Because, you know, as I've told, as I've told uh, audiences for years now, uh, one of the most crucial reasons that campus and college ministry are so crucial to the kingdom of God is because very few high school students enter college with a fully formed worldview. Very few leave college without one. And if, if, if a person knows nothing other than that about the college or the, the collegiate experience, that tells, that tells us how crucial those years are. And so, you know, the, the forming your most important friendships, selecting a spouse, figuring out your vocational calling, and perhaps most importantly, forming that worldview, all of those things occur during what we usually call the college years. And so... What does, a, what does a student then experience when they go to a typical public state university in regard to worldview formation? I think when I was a student uh, back in the 90s, um, you know, it, it was a lot, a lot of it was about what, what I might term spiritualism versus naturalism. Okay. Uh, you know, most, most uh, state universities, public universities, uh, being secular are, 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 are not going to really be able to provide substantive answers for the most important, most uh, meaningful questions of life, such as, you know, how did I get here? Who am I? Where am I going? Does my life even matter? And, to the, and, and the answers to those questions typically are nothing more than from a naturalistic worldview, which isn't very helpful. Yeah. I think today that conversation has shifted more away from spiritualism versus naturalism to um, to what kind of spiritualism am I going to gravitate to? Interesting. I think as, as Christianity has begun to exit the public arena more and more and more, the the need for meaning has never left us. <laughs> and so and so college students then are gravitating toward toward things that with which they can find some sort of meaning. So I think, for instance, over the last six, eight, 10 years, we've seen politics, for instance, become, become something that, that really is, is gravitated to with, with almost a religious fervor. Yeah. It's because people are, are seeking meaning and purpose. They're, they're, they, even when they don't realize it, they are gravitating towards something larger than themselves. They're graduate. They're they're gravitating toward what Ecclesiastes three says is that 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 um, that sense of eternity that we all have inside our hearts that we're looking for. So I think to uh, you know in my day it was more about naturalism versus spirituality. I think today it's it's there's this multiplicity of of uh, potential moralities that people can gravitate to and the the christian faith is 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 one of those yeah yeah definitely i and i I saw the rest of us nod in agreement when you said that it seems like today politics has almost a religious fervor attached to it that it 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 seems even for folks that would normally consider themselves pretty reasonable it seems all too easy to uh, to jump on a on a particular political bandwagon with uh, with can with what can be described as religious zeal. I mean, al- almost like a 
I use the term charismatic non-technically, but almost like sort of a charismatic fervor that you just get swept away by this uh, by this political bandwagon. Yeah, something that we might uh, hopefully we'll be able to dig back into here in just a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, Chris, thank you. Uh, Casey, what about you? What do you um, what would you what would you kind of throw into this mix? Well, so I, I think what I'm I'm kind of building on what Chris was saying there, and one of the things I had had jotted down was just developing their own faith, which, mm -hmm. which of course, is very similar to this worldview idea. I remember uh, Mary Brinkerhoff showed me, she's helped at Auburn with where Jim was for many years, the, the Westerhoff uh, or something, I'm forgetting my resource, but just talked about, you know, the developmental stages of faith. And so I kind of, ironically, maybe, you know, at Delaware, we don't have a lot of Christian students um, mm -hmm. that we're already starting with. We start with a lot of seekers, and a lot of skeptics, American and international. Uh, at Ole Miss, you know, I, I remember having a lot more Christian students that you were already kind of, you had a foundation, so to speak. You're right in the with. Bible Belt, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I do realize, you know, the Christian students, uh, most of them have their parents' faith or their youth minister's faith mm -hmm. uh, going to college. And, and I think, you know, campus missions is, is that time where they are trying to now figure out, do I still want to hold on to that? Is that valid uh, based on all the other things yeah, they're hearing, you know, on campus now? So that's why I think, you know, what, what y'all are talking about with politics. And um, so we're doing a little series with Dan Kimball's book, How to Read the Bible, How Not to Read the Bible uh, this mm -hmm. semester. So for me, you know, I think I think Christian students right now are struggling with what parts of the Bible we're not embarrassed by, uh, mm. because on a college campus, the the, the political and cultural uh, issues that, that we're dealing with right now, some of it's driving us, you know, to the word, to the Bible to figure out, okay, what, what does God think about this? How has, how has biblical thought changed from the Old and New Testament? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> excuse me, but, so I think that's really helping them own their faith, but I think a Christian student it, that I use that word embarrassment uh, on, on purpose because I think students are struggling to figure out, um, yeah, how, how Christian faith, I'm not sure we've articulated it well enough through youth ministry, you know, by 18 years old, right. to help them be able to articulate, you know, well, where do you go in the Bible to figure that out? And if you do see it in the Bible, you know, there tend to be verses that unfortunately are kind of thrown out as, as a uh, bombs to step on yeah. um and and so when we feel embarrassed by those and uh and and it's like yeah we don't quite know how to engage our culture because we're still trying to develop our own faith so i, mm -hmm. I think it's huge that we encounter them you know at this time and we're trying to help them wrestle with yeah you know jesus probably wouldn't have played the political game uh the way that we do in our culture he often right. found that third way so so what does it look like for a Christian student to find that third way today? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting too, that you mentioned how we uh, you know, like formation of worldview, obviously very, very much related to how we understand the Bible. And it is unfortunate that, uh, you know, just a lot of, uh, a lot of high schoolers are, um, you know, are struggling to, to kind of understand that. I mean, in, in fairness to them. And I, I think we, uh, we would all, um, you know, maybe show ourselves grace because we too were high schoolers at one point, <laughs> didn't have everything figured out back then. But, 
it, it is interesting that that is so that that is so related to what we're talking about. Uh, Christians and atheists can quote the Bible for their own purposes. And it's um, like and how you actually wrestle with that, how you determine how to understand what's going on here. Uh, yeah, all very serious issues that uh, that do seem to come to a head a lot in um, in, in a college setting because you know, we are trying to to formulate this worldview, and worldview implies some sort of uh, philosophical or ethical paradigm that uh, that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, good insight there, Casey. Thank you, sir. Rusty, what uh, what about you? What would you add to this? Yeah, they actually uh, covered all the three points that I had, but. Um, just to elaborate on it, you know, a lot of people, they go into college with a casual Christian mentality, and they don't have that firm, strong faith. And there's a book called Sticky Faith by Dr. Kara Powell, mm-hmm. and it does an amazing job of asking those hard and awkward questions. Basically, if this is true, what is that going to look like in my life? And what are the decisions I need to set now so that my, I can stay, faith, uh, stay, stay faithful to following Christ? Yeah. Um, and so having that more active faith that's being lived out um, is one issue that's that's missing in a lot of uh, people as they're going into college. And that brings forth what uh, Chris pulled out was the uh, immortal relativism. Mm-hmm. And in today, today's culture, um, I was talking to a student the other day who lives with a group of Christians and all the Christians were cheating on a test. And uh, their reasoning was, well, it's not hurting anyone. So therefore it has to be, it's okay. And uh, the same trend has uh, followed into sexuality and uh, the the sexual positiveness of Christians. They no longer viewed as premarital sex or uh, sex outside of the confines that God intended it to be, but was it consensual? And if it was consensual sex, it's not hurting anybody. So therefore, it's okay, and it's not wrong. Um, a study came out earlier last year about young Christians and uh, their ideas on this, and only 20% said that premarital sex was always, always wrong um, because of this, this new view that they have. Instead of viewing stuff of, well, how am I living for Christ? It's now viewed, well, is it hurting somebody else? And it's removing god from the equation yeah that's a very dangerous place to get to because eventually you can find yourself um you can find yourself uh dehumanizing others to the point where you justify actually hurting them but if you see them as inherently less than you well, then you're not hurting anyone, or at least not hurting anyone uh, of any sort of equal worth as you. And that, um, man, that's a very dangerous place to get. Yeah, that, that's a slippery, I, that's a slippery slope, but that might not be inevitable. But that, I think that's definitely a slippery slope related to, to kind of what, uh, what you've said here, Rusty. All right, it's guys, actually, uh, go ahead, go ahead. With one of your other questions that you, you have for us, that's actually, I was going to talk a little bit about how they are great at seeking out justice, mm-hmm. but showing mercy um, is a struggle. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I do want to get to I do want to get to that point, Russ, because I, I think that's that's pretty fascinating. Uh, before I forget, though, the three of you have mentioned 
the importance of this time, uh, roughly, normally you hear like 18 to 22, uh, a lot of students are staying for like master's degrees and things like that. We could, we could kind of target it to like 18 to 25 or something along those lines. I think that's pretty fair. Um, in this period of like 18 years to 25 years, uh, years old, um, how have y'all seen, maybe what are, like, how do you help them actually form their own Christian worldview? What, what are some things that, that, that campus, uh, campus ministers uh, do? What are some things that, uh, that you have seen to be most effective in kind of helping them shape this Christian worldview? Um, Chris, do you mind if we start with you? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose it's, it maybe feels cliche to say it this way, but I have always believed that the most important job I have is to teach students the Bible. Mm -hmm. I think one of the one of the reasons that I sought higher education for myself is because I wanted to be able to to uh, teach scripture uh, on the same level that students are learning uh, English and biology and yeah. uh, and communication and psychology. I wanted I wanted them to know that I was in, in, you know in this in this arena of higher education, in this uh, arena of, 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 of thought, that I, that I was a credible witness, mm -hmm. uh, that I had the, you know, the academic chops, so to speak, to be able to compete in this arena, to, 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 to have credibility in their ears and in their eyes. And so uh, I think, I think it's, it starts with simply teaching scripture. Uh, I believe I believe deeply that Scripture inherently has power within it to convict mm -hmm. and to change lives, and that the Holy Spirit is just as interested in using Scripture to, uh, you know, to, to change a heart as 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 the Holy Spirit was originally in in overseeing the writing of Scripture. So I, I believe that uh, teaching the Word of God is is crucial and central. Uh, to to what we do in, in terms of uh, spiritual formation, I think the other the other big and obvious thing, and this is I mean this is no this is it's nothing novel. It's just the way Jesus did it is simply uh, focusing on a few and walking with them in a very intimate, intense way through through this season of life. Mm -hmm. uh, we we really don't know, for instance, how old the apostles were, but my guess is that they weren't gray haired people. They were probably um, guys that were somewhere in the range of college student age, uh, yeah. maybe high school age. We're, we're not really sure. And Jesus took them for three years and he walked with them in this very intimate way. And, 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 you know, when he goes to the seashore and meets, um, Peter and Andrew and James and John, he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, I will make you into someone that you would not have otherwise been. Yeah after walking with me for two and a half, three years, you will be a different person. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's, I think one of the beautiful and most unique things about that, that, that working with college students allows is that during this incredibly highly transformative season of life, we have the opportunity to come alongside them and journey with them and walk with them and, and, and very often see them and interact with them on a daily basis in ways that other kinds of ministry probably aren't able to do. Yeah. And when they 
hopefully graduate and come out on the other end of that of that experience, they have then become very different people. Mm-hmm. So knowing scripture well and um, having some kind of intentional mentoring relationship with uh, with at least a, a handful of students. Uh, Casey, R- Rusty, anything that y'all would want to add to that list or maybe expound on either either of those things? Oh, uh, so Rusty may, you know, I kick this off and Rusty can add to this if he wants, but you know, Rusty has been teaching me and I, I, I've still kind of the move from Ole Miss to UD has been paradigm shifting in several ways. And so I, I think for me, one of the things is transitioning from a knowledge-based faith to an obedience-based faith okay. um, and, and trying trying to not assume, and, and this is where kind of dialogues with what Chris is talking about, you know, I, I, I gave a few 30 to 40 minute lessons that I thought were, were pretty transformative, <laughs> but they were pretty few. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and what I'm realizing, you know, is even me, you know, I feel like maybe I'm on the high end of, I can take in a lot of knowledge and figure out what to do with it in mm-hmm. my life. But college students need a lot of, even though they're still reluctant at times, they need those practical, obedient, obedience forming, you know, things to help them live it out. Otherwise, I don't think it's impacting their worldview enough to help them be transformative in the culture that they're going to be sent into when they graduate. So that, that obedience piece from, you know, I remember Randy Harris did the end of the Sermon on the Mount first, and then he went Mm. back and taught the series because he said, you got to come back to every piece of this and think the wise man is the one who hears and puts it into practice. Right. And so, you know, we've got to figure out how to help them put it into practice because it's not always going to make sense. Knowledge wise, it's not until you put it into practice, then you start to have some of those aha moments like, mm. ah, that's, that's why Jesus said that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. It's, it's like you're training when you train somebody in a new way of life. Um, you do have to really get down to the nuts and bolts and like adjust their habits almost uh, a, a good, a good <laughs> analogy would be something like, um, you know, going into the military, you learn a totally new way of life. I mean, you down to like folding your clothes and stuff like that. Like it's, it, it, it's very, very obedience based and then gradually begins to, you know, it, it increasingly begins to make sense within that worldview. Yeah. And that's, uh, I like that Casey and interesting too, that you, uh, that you had to, you had to kind of shift uh, based again on, on what country, you know, so to speak, you know, what ministry country you were, you were working in, you know, from, uh, from Oxford, Mississippi, you know, there in the Bible belt all the way up to, um, up to you said new ark that's right they do stress new ark here okay newark i I had new jersey (laughs) i always thought newark but yeah that's uh that's new jersey okay and and we would definitely wouldn't want to put that uh, on anybody from delaware either (laughs) uh uh, uh, rusty what uh what would you add to this yeah it's how do you take that knowledge and make it come to life Mm -hmm. how do you teach them how to live it out and a lot of that has to be done through questions how are you asking them the right questions so that the answers aren't just, well, this is what Rusty said, or this is what Casey said, but the, their answers are the answers that they have that they said. Um, so yeah. making sure that you're wording the questions right so that it becomes their thoughts 
and then challenging with this. If this is really true, what's that going to look like in our lives? And yeah. when we do that, the faith comes to life. Yeah. It, um, who, who knew, right, that working with college <laughs> students would, would necessitate helping them develop uh, critical thinking skills <laughs> and uh, learning how to apply, learning how to apply all that stuff. Um, one of the folks that I got to speak with um, earlier at, at the time of recording uh, earlier, uh, she stressed that really for, for her and her students, um, she has seen, uh, she's seen a, a significant need in helping her students develop critical thinking skills uh, not just for the sake of doing well in the psychology class, the general psych class that she adjuncts uh, for it at Harding, but also for them to be able to discern, uh, you know, discern things from, you know, from like social media and like how, and like with the, with developing these critical thinking skills, they can better better understand and respond to the kinds of things that they that they read and see i mean they're, they're not reading newspapers or or going online for news articles they're finding they're finding their sources of information in snapchat and tiktok and other things like that and i won't even pretend to know that you know, pretend that i know how those things operate i I'm, I'm just old enough to remember when when facebook was strictly for college students it's like I have OG cred when it comes to social media, <laughs> but uh, with with the rest of this stuff, I, I, I'm kind of out on that. But uh, to recap, I really like what you guys have said. Knowing scripture well, which Chris seems kind of like a no brainer, right? I mean, <laughs> like knowing the Bible well, but what that? Uh, but I, I I know what you mean. It's not just knowing Bible facts. It's not just being able to quote book, chapter, and verse. You have to understand how all that stuff applies, uh, especially, um, especially Casey and Rusty in, in places outside of the Bible Belt. Quoting book, chapter, and verse, how effective is that at, um, at, at ministering or, or evangelizing? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've quoted scripture many of times, but I leave off John 3.16. You know, oh, I just, fascinating. I was talking with a, uh, a guy from uh, Palestine last week. And okay. um, we were talking about the issues with the border walls and stuff mm -hmm. and all the stuff going on in Israel. And he goes, well, I hate what you do. I think religion's the problem, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I wish everyone could just view each other as humans and respect them. And I said, you know, I totally agree. Since we're all created in God's image, we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And he said something in Arabic and I asked him what he says, like, if that's what you truly believe, I love you. Wow. And it's uh, turned into a powerful conversation. He didn't realize I was quoting Jesus. Right. Um, but you can take those biblical elements and fit them yeah. in there. And people are like, wait a second. Yeah. And like, people who don't even believe in God are like, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, suddenly it, it's very, it, it's very disarming. It's very non-threatening to be able to do something along those lines. Um, my wife and I, uh, we used to live in Lexington, Kentucky, when I was working on my doctorate up there, and there was a there was a, a chain restaurant that we really liked. One of these, you know, like half dozen burrito joints that are all basically the same. It's just one has better chips, the other has better queso, stuff like that. Um, and we would go to this one that was near her work, 
And um, we had our, at that time, he was six or seven months old. Um, He's four and a half now, but um, like at the time, he's like six or seven months old. We had him there. He was in the high chair. He was, you know, you know, clumsily knocking rice and you know bits of chicken off the table onto the floor. And so after we finished up, we, you know, we, I, I was down hands and knees cleaning that stuff up. And the manager came by. I was like, hey, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get that. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, it's like we we made the mess, and uh, you know, it's you know, it's kind of our responsibility to clean up. Later, he he walked back past our table. I was like, yeah, that was that was really cool. Like that, I, I don't see a lot of folks do that. And, and and I I said I said to him, um, you know, I I really think it's uh, it, it's it's a good practice for uh, you know us to treat people the way we want to be treated. You know, like that, that, that's scripture, right? I mean, that's scripture, but didn't say, well, you know, Jesus says, and uh, you know, such and such. And from then on, we had developed actually kind of a relationship with this guy where like, half the time we'd come in, and because he was so impressed with what we'd done. We would have um, like we'd get two entrees. He'd charge us for one and like double meat or something. Didn't didn't have to do that. Like we never asked for that. But he was super cool with us the whole time, from like you know that four year period that we remained up there. Fascinating how just leaving off something like John three sixteen, you're still quoting, you're still using that, you're still letting that power that that Chris was talking about just a moment ago, still letting that power do its work. Um, Casey, when I asked how effective was quoting book, chapter, and verse to folks, for people who are only listening and not watching, Casey gave me a big th- thumbs down about that. What has, has that been your experience too? Right. You lost me for a minute when you started talking about double meat. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, man, that double steak sounds go- really good. I just kind of <laughs> get an early dinner. Yeah. And I, I, I keep giving references and shout outs cause I just, I'm very, uh, I don't know what it is about me. I, I like to connect things. Um, but the uh, Rusty and I, we're fixing to do the Mission Alive uh, Catalyze Coaching Lab here in a couple of weeks. And I've just been reading some of the prep work for that. And, you know, it's it's just all about empowering, you know, students and asking them questions and not being the expert in their lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, teaching them, you know, helping them walk through a process of decision making uh, is much more going to impact how they uh, live out their faith, how they practice it, than me giving them the answer. Um, and that's really hard for me because, you know, I, I, I have an MDiv and, and I think uh, I've certainly been tempted to see myself as the expert and, sure. and that it's my job to dispense the knowledge and the wisdom and that everybody's, of course, going to completely soak in everything, you know, from that, that they're supposed to, and it's going to go out and they're all going to be changed, you know, and I, I'm afraid I've gotten a little more uh, skeptical of how effective that is, but, but I think, thankfully, there's an alternative uh, through this um, helping ask questions, helping them find tools for practicing it. Yeah, that's one of the most helpful things that I've done in, uh, in, in this venue that I find myself in now, I'm the discipleship minister at a, at a medium-sized church that e- even though in, down here in South Texas, we're at, I think we're technically outside the Bible Belt, it's still Texas. And so there's still very much, you know, some version of, uh, of church culture. I mean, it's still, there's still a church on every corner. Um, you know, it, 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 it's cultural down here uh, for there to be a lot of churches around. One of the things that I've been able to do that I, has been strangely effective in teaching 
the auditorium class, and if you've ever taught a class at church, auditorium classes are traditionally one of the worst ones to teach in because everybody just sits where they sat for worship and nobody wants to talk. It's, it's sometimes it's like pulling teeth from a tiger to try to get, uh, get discussion. And I just, I, I finally, you know, I, I knew that and I was going to attack that head on and just thought that I would you know, start off every lesson with, you know, a, a, a very non-threatening, relatively easy to answer, open-ended question. And that would get us thinking, that'd get us talking, that would get us going. And then throughout my, my outline for the series that we did on first and second Peter, um, you know, this last quarter, I'd have all my questions, you know, all my open-ended questions outlined in blue, text that we're going to read outlined in green, application outlined in yellow. So I could really make sure it's like, I've got a good balance here. We're thinking critically about this kind of stuff. We're applying this kind of stuff. I, I didn't realize just how useful that would be until I was talking with one of our elders here at, at church. And um, I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes it, it feels kind of tough uh, teaching in this class. And he scoffed at me. Like he literally went, what? What are you talking about? I've, I've never seen so much interaction before. Had no idea that asking the right kinds of questions would be so valuable in helping folks kind of work through different things of scripture. Um, but that makes sense, especially when you're trying to get folks to, to formulate their own worldview, to kind of bring it back to what we've been talking about, to get folks to be able to formulate their own worldview. They're, they're not just hearing you ask them the questions. I imagine that they're sitting there asking them themselves, what do I really believe about this? How do I really feel about this? What, how could I explain this in a way that, that feels honest to myself? Yeah. Uh, before we move on, anybody, anybody want, uh, need to mention anything else um, kind of relevant to that or kind of what we've been, what we've been talking about here? So, all right, cool. Um, I've got a question on here about social media. I wonder if we could touch on that briefly, because I do want to get to some of the other things uh, near the end of uh, in, near the end of the list that I gave us. What role does social media have in shaping the typical Christian college students spirituality, or if not shaping, maybe influencing? Um, let's let's go in reverse order. Rusty, uh, what would you say uh, about social media, you know, positive and negative effects. How, how does, how is that affecting our Christian college students? Um, first off, my opinion is everyone just needs to get off social media. <laughs> just um, start over with a clean slate. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know that's not possible. And, and as I was thinking about this, it's just all these negative things were coming to my head. And then a few stories from last year came to my head where one of my students who we brought to Israel with us, you know, she never felt like she's been able to share her faith and she's always too afraid to share it. Um, but she posted a picture of her in Israel and experiencing the uh, Holy Land and learning mm -hmm. to walk. She posted that she was walking where Christ walked. Yeah. And uh, when she got back, one of her friends, who, who was also a student, said, hey, for the past three years, I've been having ideas that there might be a God, but I didn't know who to ask. Oh, wow. Can I ask you? Yeah. Um, so it was so as, she, as simple as posting pictures. Right. Simple post, posting those pictures. And so it's a great way for students to non uh, to be able to share their faith without the fear 
of, of uh, rejection or hurt that they, that they might have from it. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that the college students are seeing who are older, who are posting stuff, uh, very polarizing. And yeah. they're like, wait a second, I thought that's a, 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 our Sunday school teacher at church, or I thought that was that. And so they start getting a, a sour view of Christ. Um, but at the same time, they see college students who profess Christ and wear the college or the Christian, I got Jesus t-shirts and, and the cross necklace and everything else. But then they're seeing what those people are posting on Facebook, which isn't anything like Christ calls us to. Yeah. And so it's impacting them in both of these ways as they're seeing this, uh, I hate using the word hypocrisy, but I, can't, I couldn't think of a better word when they're yeah. seeing these double standard lifestyles um, on social media. Um, and so it has that, that negative impact as well. Um, yeah. Seems like it amplifies yeah. kind of the, the best and worst in a lot of ways. Yeah. Casey, what about you? Yeah, I was thinking about, um, <clears throat> again, another reference, but I really liked uh, Nate Larkin. Uh, he did the Samson and the Pirate Monks, a really cool little book, but he really talked about his persona as, as Saint Nate, uh, as kind of as a minister before he, his life fell apart for a while. And, you know, I, I think for me, like the Christian the Christian student struggles with this idea that I'm supposed to put a certain persona of myself out there, you know, mm -hmm. on social media. And of course it can be very selfish, you know, selfie centered, you know, it's about me and just posting, you know, whatever. And, you know, if we are talking a little more specifically about Christian, you know, college students, I do try and reference things like, um, you know, really challenging them with the lordship of Jesus and saying, you were bought at a price, you are not your own. And so that means you do still have to continue to think about and reflect on what is it as a follower of Jesus that you should post. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, you know, uh, we're still struggling with that, but it's at least out there. We have some opportunities to, to address it. And the Rusty and I both, we love Colossians 4. You know, I think the thing that, that personally particularly the phrase, I guess, for right now, making the most of every opportunity. I, I don't think most of our students realize they are alienating half of their friends. Well, maybe not their, their immediate friends, but they're, they're alienating some of the, so one person Rusty talked about reached out because of a picture they saw. Right. I think a lot of students are not realizing, okay, somebody has just made a mental note because of the picture or quote or whatever I've shared. And they now say, okay, I know it is not safe to talk about that with you. Mm -hmm. And Christians, followers of Jesus ought to be safe places to ask a question or, or share a struggle and say, hey, you know, uh, let, let's talk about that. And a Christian, you know, reserve some judgment, share some sure. mercy, like yeah. what Rusty was talking yeah. about, instead of just justice. So I, I think those are really, really big things yeah, for our students to wrestle with. Yeah. Interesting, too, when you when you put think about it this way, the importance of bringing even your social media uh, use under the lordship of Jesus. I mean, sure. because, you know, like, every aspect, it's, e like, I, I would think that a lot of a lot of Christian college students at least have heard you need to bring your sexuality under the lordship of Jesus. You know, you need to you know, bring your time under the lordship of Jesus. 
we could get we could get super specific and say you need to bring your instagram usage under the lordship of jesus you know we really need to get that kind of specific with it if we are going to take it seriously to where every aspect every ounce of our being is brought under the lordship of jesus yeah i like that uh chris you um you want to you want to weigh in on this one sir yeah, the only thing I would add, I think, would be that there's a lot of data suggesting that um, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, and a number of other negative uh, outcomes are directly related to social media use or overuse. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that there's this um, constant bombardment of negativity, you know, like following the news and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I think people, uh, even as recently as when I was growing up, didn't didn't face. So there's this 24-7 kind of inputting of the negative and the worst. You know, I was a, in undergrad, I was a journalism major, and they, we were always taught if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, you know, and that's still that's still said today in the journalism world, and 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 it's because you know we gravitate naturally toward the negative and and the 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 awful, and when your phone is sort of giving you those inputs twenty four seven, it's no wonder that we are struggling with anxiety and depression and and those sorts of things. I think the other thing with social media is that on things like Instagram and Facebook, people are putting their highlight reels on and, and they're, you know, they, they don't, they're not typically sharing their most embarrassing moments or their, their most difficult moments. Um, and, and what happens is the sense of uh, constant comparison. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. Uh, they got a new car, they got a new, you know, boyfriend, they just got accepted to their preferred grad school. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And so um, it's no wonder that this leads to depression, anxiety, and all kinds of negative outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I would say too, that um, like, y- y'all have worked with college students more than I have. Um, what is, is it fair to say that college students are already struggling with um, with anxiety and things like that because they're trying to find find a spouse, they're trying to find a job, they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their major. Like, is it already is it fair to say that they're already struggling with these kinds of things? Yeah, Casey runs a mental health support group, a couple of them there at UD because of those struggles and then throwing COVID on top of that. I'd love for him to share a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Casey shared a bit more on that here in just a second, but if they're already struggling with those kinds of issues that are not necessarily social media related, when you add the, the constant or, or the temptation for constant comparison and, and, and kind of self measuring that social media can easily, uh, e- easily introduce, I, it, it's easy to see how those, uh, those mental health issues are greatly exasperated by things like social media. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Casey, I, I've actually seen you post on Instagram your, um, you know, these mental health support groups uh, for your students. I, I love following you on Instagram because it's it's the kind of it's the kind of social media presence that I would want a ministry to have if I were running something like that. It's it's always useful. I, I'm always interested in your like waffle breakfasts or stuff that you <laughs> stuff that you'll have going on too. <laughs> Uh, but can you tell us? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about these uh, support groups that uh, that Rusty mentioned just a second ago? Yeah. Well, 
I got to give Rusty a shout out. I, you know, I started figuring out Instagram, but, and only recently started figuring out how to post stories and not just uh, post. <laughs> so, but Rusty helped me with my hashtags and, uh, you know, I, we have definitely learned how to make social media uh, mission focused, you know, and yeah. we're really trying to use it to connect with students in a healthy way. Uh, so I give thanks for that. I think the mental health. So I, for me, and this, I, this another shout out for Mission Live. I went through a coaching thing with uh, Stephen Schaefer, and I was just trying to wrestle with. We really connect well with international students here using in, teaching English, using the Bible, a yeah. very common way to connect with them. And I was kind of looking for a common connecting point with American students. Uh, and we, when we went through the process, it just kind of came down to, I had a little tool that I used in Oxford, working with Lindy Bartlett, who was a preaching minister who had been my apprentice there. Mm-hmm. He used a little tool from recovery, uh, just called a Phanos with an F. Uh, and uh, so I had that tool, I've been doing it in ministry. I shared it with a few ministry folks here. And just by the end of it, it's like a support group, a support group where we use the Thanos and students get a chance. Everybody shares. I had a few parameters, you know, to help it, you know, hopefully go pretty well most of the time. And so we, we've, we've have a few, I have a group in our ministry, a few that join us. We've had a, and then a partner organization here. That's a suicide prevention group that really said, yes, we want your support group. Yeah. in our house here and so I'm there on Sunday nights and in the ministry Monday afternoons and and it's been a really good conversation starter and you know by the second you know most of the time by the first time but at least by the second time some of these students share you know a lot about their lives and you know yeah. a lot about the brokenness in their lives and with Rusty's training and some of the work we're doing we're just trying to figure out uh, how to take the conversation deeper how to how to make it over time, you know, a little more spiritual, get them maybe into a a Bible discussion at some point. We're not trying to rush that, but we're trying to organically grow beyond the mental health thing. So it's like English with international students. It's a, it's a touch point. It's a point to begin conversation with students. Uh, Our apprentice, Connor, he he talked about uh, connecting with, uh, asked a lady college student on campus last week for prayer. And she just immediately talked about uh, losing her dad and her brother uh, over the course of a few years. And in our conversation with him this week, we talked, okay, he may go back next week. If he sees her next week, he's going to mention the support group mm-hmm. and just see if she'd be interested in being part of something like that. So yeah. uh, that, that's a big, big thing. Mental health. Uh, that's what I was going to say, even as an issue for Christian college students, I think we, we Christian students may tend to think, you know, our faith is enough. And so I think uh, the support group is hopefully an opportunity, an outlet for even those students to say, you know, uh, God's got this, but I also am human and I still need a place to share when I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm insecure, and to be able to articulate that in a safe place and realize it's, it's kind of like a recovery group. You know, everybody's broken, everybody's stressed, everybody's messed up with something. So it's been very helpful so far. Yeah. As what's, What's fascinating to me, too, is that one thing that I've heard about social media use or or maybe really better overuse is that you can basically have, if you want, you can have no unpublished thought, right? Like you can, you can share, oh, I I thought this funny thing when I was walking up the stairs to my dorm or apartment, I'm going to share this with everybody. All right. Like it gets really that silly, but with those boundaries gone, 
because of social media overuse, I, I wonder if, if that has broken down some of the stigma of like seeking help for mental health issues and has allowed or maybe facilitated uh, college students these days or folks who are college aged, uh, if it's facilitated them opening up and sharing in these kinds of groups. And I'm seeing a couple of nods. Do y'all you, you think that that's maybe a fair assessment of, of the situation here? Nodding in general agreement. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe, that, maybe that's a benefit then. Maybe that's a benefit of, of social media use. Yeah. yeah. Can I put a little plug in uh, real Please. quick? Yeah. Over the summer, we actually made some training on how to use Instagram and hashtags and programs like canva.com. Mm -hmm. um, and we just created our Reflect Campus Missions YouTube channel. So if you search for Reflect Campus Missions, okay. uh, last week we uploaded those trainings now to that YouTube channel on how to better use hashtags and stuff like that for outreach purposes. Um, at UD, about 70% of our traffic we get isn't people that we're connected to through our friends list, it's through our proper usage of hashtags. Um, Interesting. So it's a great way to get the word out and really reach out. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that's Reflect Campus Missions? Correct. Just All search right. for that on YouTube and our list of videos should come up. Yeah, I will put the link to that uh, YouTube channel in the description of this uh, when I post this on YouTube, and I'll, I'll direct folks to uh, check it out on um, on Facebook and uh, to, to direct them to the YouTube channel as well. All right, um, I, I want to ask this question because I think that this is this is really important for a lot of folks, even though a lot of folks might not know how to uh, how to what to do with this. What do college-age Christian students have to offer the church? What do college-age Christian students have to offer the church? Um, Chris, can we, can we start with you again? Yeah, I think that it's interesting when you compare the kind of the typical campus ministry as it's, as it's, often done at state university campuses it reminds me a lot of acts 2 it reminds me a lot of of having all things in common and meeting together daily and breaking bread together and so forth and people you know being converted and brought brought to faith um, you know on a daily and weekly basis typically in other forms of ministry as it as they're constructed within the modern church don't don't really have that sort of communal dynamic that you that you tend to experience in campus ministry and i think that when students graduate out of that they they want to bring that with them to the churches they land in and i think our uh, oftentimes are doing a good job of creating that that sense of uh, uh of need for community yeah you know god's people christians the church i mean that should be that should be an area where we're where we're leading the way because we, you know, back to the social media thing, just because we have a couple of thousand Facebook friends uh, doesn't mean we're still not lonely and disconnected. In fact, it's, it's probably fair to assert that we're some of the most lonely, disconnected people who've ever lived, even though yeah. we're um, ironically at the same time, some of the most connected people who have ever lived. And I think that the church can and should lead the way in terms of reestablishing the need for community 
you know, we serve a communal God, a you know, a Trinitarian God who has lived in community within God's self from eternity, and 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 that is reflected in the body of Christ. And so I think that uh, one of the things that college students bring to the table is is to remind us of the beauty and the power of living in community. Yeah, I I really like that. Um, it, and, and we touched on this earlier too, um, Chris. I, I think you were the one that mentioned um, you kind of some of these like how do you form a worldview? You'd mentioned understanding scripture well and then what you described what were essentially mentoring opportunities or mentoring relationships whether kind of in a formal mentor mentee relationship or maybe something a little more informal um that need for community is is absolutely essential i i would say across the board uh, i think we would all agree with that you know, regardless of what age you are but it, it seems especially important too when you are considering the kinds of challenges that uh, that a lot of uh, Christian college students face, especially at, at public colleges and universities, um, uh, one of y'all had mentioned the the importance of of kind of finding their friend group, and they're like they're, they're trying to define find the kind of people that they want to be friends with, and, and sometimes it changes because they they find that they themselves want to be somebody else or somebody different. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it, it's greatly benefited. Uh, that process is is greatly benefited by having a, a a really strong faith community around them. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Casey? What um, What do you think college students have to offer the church? Um. You know, I, I kind of went with a a graduated college student perspective here, uh, and that may not be quite what you were headed for. But Sorry? maybe it's the uh, the other side of the coin with what Chris was talking about. Yeah. I, I think I, I can see how they're going to help our churches become less building centric, uh, where, where it's yeah. about, you know, like up here, we, we all, as we're coming out of COVID, we're trying to get together on Sunday mornings, but uh, there's not a Sunday night thing in the building. There's not much of a Wednesday night thing in the building. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think our students, because of that community on campus, I think they could actually lead us into more missional communities in their homes, in their apartments, uh, in their neighborhoods, yeah. and actually helping develop small group ministries better, you know, outside of the building, yeah. uh, because of what they've experienced, you know, in, in college ministry. So I'll mostly leave it at that, And but I think the church depending on the church, of course, they might feel threatened by that. Like, well, we, we just want everybody here, but I, I hope our churches are going to, are continuing to grow to the point where like, Hey, yeah, if we can all get together Sunday morning, great. Otherwise let's, let's empower our, our young families, our young professionals to have those Bible studies in their businesses or to have people in their homes on Sunday night and have small groups where they're connecting with people that will not come on Sunday morning ever <laughs> yeah 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 but especially too if you get a if you get a group of folks who are used to doing that kind of thing if they already feel empowered and have experience doing that kind of thing and they've and they've learned learned on the job so to speak uh it makes things like you said small groups and and other types of ministries that much easier it also makes church plants 
I would think that much easier to pursue. And uh, there's a lot of research uh, done. I'm thinking of an article that uh, I think Stan Granberg uh, released uh, a couple of years ago on the necessity of church plants for like for helping for helping church groups that uh, that could be dying uh, or could be declining at least. And according to his research, Churches of Christ fit in that category of declining uh, church traditions. Church plants are an essential way to continue. Uh, growing and revitalizing those kinds of things. Casey, if you've got folks doing the kinds of things that you just said, uh, you know, leading these Bible studies and, and you know, at, at work or you know, homes or things like that, you've already, you've already done a lot of the groundwork for training for doing these kinds of things that are essential for church plants. Uh, yeah, right. I, I can see that uh, as well. Uh, Rusty, what do you think, sir? Yeah, I, I think uh, I really love what they said, especially uh, when Chris pointed out the communal aspect of it. Mm -hmm. One thing we're seeing with this upcoming generation is they are leaving behind, the, yes, they had their individualism, but they're leaving that behind, focusing more on the communal good. Mm, um, interesting, yeah. And so this is why, you know, ideas of socialism is coming up because of the communal good mm -hmm. um, and all this other stuff. And so how are we as the church um, how, how are we, we, we've kind of neglected, uh, looking at the communal good. We've always just had it as a, a thing we've kind of done, but we've never made it a forefront of how are we as a church looking at the communal good of the body together. Um, but through that, these uh, college students, they're coming forward with action. Mm -hmm. Um, they're coming forward with passion, um, and this action. And if we guide them correctly, they're coming forward with the ability to see where the Holy Spirit's working at and uh, step on it. And mm -hmm. so a, a good example would be a few years ago in Delaware, I was asked to teach um, 14 weeks on evangelism. And after week six, you know, I'm like, okay, give me a day, I'll teach them how to do it, and then we can do it. And uh, with my college students, I can get them through Colossians 4, 2 through 6, about praying intentionally, and then making the most of every opportunity, seizing your conversations with uh, salt and grace. And, you know, there'll be one or two who will go out and do it that week. Sure and try it out. Um, just like here, when we did that, one of the students came to me afterwards asking, what does that look like? Uh, shared a little bit. And so she just went to her roommate and said, hey, I'm just curious. I was asked to be more intentional living out my faith. What do you think that looks like? And they ended up getting to this really good spiritual conversation where the girls said, you know, I have questions about God, but I don't know where to ask. Mm -hmm. And so it opened that, up that door. Whereas after six weeks of teaching this class at church, I, I love the church body there. Um, yeah. Uh, but the class dwindled from 40 to 14. And um, at six weeks, one of the older ladies at church said, hey, we've had evangelism taught six times and nothing's ever come of it. And yeah. um, so at that point, I realized we should bring in stories, um, bring it not just me telling the stories, but bring in the people from the campus ministry who are doing it to tell the stories of how they saw opportunities and made the most of them. Mm -hmm. And one of those stories was of a student who started reaching out to uh, just a cashier at the grocery store who she saw looked distressed and, and had a good, amazing conversation and was up, being able to uplift and glorify God during it. And one of the older ladies in church said, well, I think I can do that. Wow. And yeah. later on that week, she kept on, she was praying for opportunities, met a lady in the grocery store, ended up driving the lady home because it was raining and ended up that they had been crossing paths for 22 years as she drove her husband to work and the lady was walking to her work at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And uh, she helped to bring this lady back to her faith in Christ. 
and it was a powerful one. And um, so they have that patient, uh, passion and the willingness to go take, the, take those actions that a lot of times us as older Christians, it's out of our comfort zone. So we're not willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I had mentioned earlier too, about the, the need for um, the need for reserving judgment, the need for showing mercy. I think it's uh, I think it's incumbent upon older uh, maybe more spiritually mature members of our congregations to be willing to, you know, reserve judgment, to be willing to have mercy when we see some of these younger folks who are eager in their faith, they're excited to try some new ways of reaching out. Um, if we're willing to have some grace and and let some of these folks maybe, maybe you know, trip and stumble or, you know, kind of work through, you know, some of their just inexperience. Um, we might have some of these, some of these kind of amazing, amazing testimonies like that. Yeah. Guys, as we, uh, as we kind of draw near to, uh, near to uh, the end of our time, uh, the kind of the last question that I wanted to pose to us is, uh, is this, um, how can adults beyond typical college age, I mean, they're, they're sure they're non-traditional students in college, but how can adults beyond typical college age help college age Christians grow in their faith? What are some things that guys, you know, my age, I'm 35. What are some guys my age, um, you know, what are some things that folks older than that can do? Um, Casey, we haven't started with you yet. So because I've known you the longest in this group, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you start us off with this last question here. What, what can we do? I thought I was in a vicious cycle of being the middle child here. <laughs> I was never going to escape. Um, I've always been the oldest. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really, yeah, I like this question and I think it is, it is challenging, but I think all I can really say is put together a few things I've already said a little bit, but um, kind of things I'm learning still. Uh, There's a student here recently who is in chemical engineering and she's, she's graduating, but she's leaving chemical engineering is going into full-time ministry. And that's what I did at Arkansas. She's not wow. part of our ministry, Rusty knew her uh, through another ministry here going to Israel. So I connected with her a few weeks ago and it was kind of weird. I was like half telling my story because she was curious. She, she had heard, Hey, you did this too, 20 years ago. So I, I really was interested, but part of the time I was trying to just ask questions and and get her to share what led her to this she had already kind of resolved it it was done it was a done deal now she was just working on how did you share it and I so I've tried to remember how I shared it some that information and she's still anxious about sharing it with some of her engineering you know professors and some of her peers Um, but I think uh, the listen learn and love uh, model for for our adults is really helpful because this is me i tend to like to give advice and tell stories okay uh and i and i when i jotted this down i said sometimes those are helpful but to bring about change and transformation uh you know get into their world not just relive ours yeah and and it is so hard for me because and i think as older adults we like to relive those highlights we like to relive the glory days and for somebody to listen to us we're like oh man if a college student wants to hear my story, I am so excited. And maybe, maybe we do. Maybe we tell the you know Reader's Digest version five or ten minutes, 
but then try and get back to asking them questions yeah. and, and seeing where they're at in their journey and that process, letting them open up where they feel like if we, if we listen to them and that it looks like we're learning and that we really care and we're reserving that judgment, showing mercy, that, that is so going to help them find their way into the church yeah. when they graduate. I'm, I'm definitely seeing just in, yeah, just in relationships, you know, in, in higher ed and, and uh, in ministry that if you, if you show a willingness to listen to folks, especially folks that view themselves as on your team, right? Like they're already there either in your church or in your ministry. They've already expressed some kind of interest in, in what's going on that if you can show an interest in them and listen, be willing to listen to them, they will often return the favor. And sometimes, you know, folks are attention hogs, sure, and that's usually an indication of, you know, some other maybe mental health issues or something like that. But, you know, generally, you know, generally folks are willing to kind of trade, you know, trade opportunities to listen. Yeah. Chris, what about you, sir? What, uh, how do you think, uh, how do you think adults beyond college age can, can really help our, our Christian college students kind of grow and own their own faith? Well, I think that uh, as a general statement, I think it's important to realize, and, and, and many older adults don't realize that many uh, current college students and you might say younger millennials and the Gen Z that is now emerging in the college, the, the, that age group tends in general to, to gravitate toward and have a deep desire for mentoring mm -hmm. that they, they want, they want people to, to walk with them. They have a deep desire to be connected to older people. I, I don't think that was maybe as true for my generation. Um, I think my generation was a little more about rejecting authority and rejecting older people and pushing back against that. But I think the, the, the current uh, group of college students today is, is gravitating toward uh, the wisdom that, that, that they inherently believe the older folks have. They have knowledge at their fingertips. They, 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 they have all the knowledge they need walking around with their phone in their pocket. Mm -hmm. What they need is wisdom. Yeah. They, need the they need the ability to apply the knowledge well. And yeah. that's what older people are able to give them. So a couple of just real quick um, examples of how we have applied that or how we've done that in our campus ministry. One is just the old, um, and, and, and most campus ministries I know of have done this, but it's still a great thing to do, is just the old Adopt-A-Student program. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we have church families who, you know, quote, adopt college students while they're, while they're uh, in, on campus and just kind of take them in and love them as their own and invite them over regularly for meals and, and remember them on their birthday and have them come over and do their laundry and those sorts of things. And oftentimes 20, 30 years later, they're still connected. They're still, you know, sending Christmas cards to each other and, 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 you know, and their, and their, their lives are drastically transformed by this family that brought them in and loved them. Another thing that we've done is um, what we've just called career mentoring, which which is just simply, let's say you're an engineering student, and we find um, uh, uh, an older uh, person who's in the engineering field at our church, mm -hmm. and and maybe say once a month they get together for lunch and they talk about the you know the faith and spiritual challenges and opportunities that come within the engineering world that that, that are inherent to the engineering profession. 
And so we, we've tried to pair up professionals with students who are entering that profession uh, to not so much to talk to them about uh, getting advice for furthering their career, but more mm -hmm. about navigating the spiritual waters that are inherent to that particular kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like both of those. Interesting, too, that we have once again returned to mentoring. And it, what, what's fascinating is that in in most of the conversations that I have had in this in this podcast series, at some point in time, mentoring has come up. This can't be a coincidence. I, I really think that there's something serious at, at work here. Um, well, that will be the idea from Jesus. So it's probably <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> surely somebody smarter than me thought of this first, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. R R Rusty, um, would you, uh, would you kind of bring us home here? Uh, and maybe what's something that, uh, that adults can do to, to help our, uh, help our Christian college students own their own faith. Yeah. Um, go, I hate coffee, uh, but go out and have coffee with them. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I, I invited a student out to uh, lunch the other day and uh, she said she can do dinner. Well, I had dinner with my family, so I invited her to come meet with my family. And uh, she, she, she ended up staying a lot longer <laughs> than what, we ex what I expected it to be. Um, but she just loved that time of her family. Um, yeah. One of our uh, alumni, Buster, I mean, he, he says that his whole entire transformation was how my wife and I just invested into him. I could never get him into a Bible study uh, beforehand, but how he saw us living out our faith, having him over to our house to eat every now and then, yeah. um, how you know, our kids just loved on him and interacted with him, and uh, listening to their frustrations instead of trying to fix it all, mm -hmm. um, listen and then pray for them. Um, and not just say, I'm going to pray for them, but pray with them. Um, through those times so that you're there guiding them, pointing them back to God instead of being, being the, as Casey was saying, we don't want to be the problem solver. They, they need to be that. Mm -hmm. um, but as we're doing this, it helps to equip them, um, as Chris was pointing out, um, to be able to continue to do that work uh, that God set before them, um, mentoring them to be actively living out that faith. But to do this, it takes a lot of intentionality on our part. And this is something that we, uh, we've gotten into a Christian culture and we lost our intentionality. Hmm. Um, so how are we rebuilding back that intentionality, making sure that everything we're doing is, doing, is being done with, the intent, with proper intention so that we can be missional in how we live? Yeah, I like that. It has become less easy, less convenient to... Um, you know, to, to live out and path, pass on our faith. And so maybe we've had to learn that, you know, we've had to relearn how to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Gentlemen, I really appreciate your time to uh, today, uh, time this afternoon. I have, uh, I've learned a lot. And uh, as y'all can see here, I have taken uh, copious notes about uh, sort of what we've been, what we've been talking about. Um, interesting that the, the thing that continues to come back um, that thing that we continue to come back to is genuine relationships, um, you know, giving, giving these students opportunities to grow with a community of, uh, of, of supportive, mature Christians around them, having relationships like mentoring relationships available for them. It's almost as if um, 
like one of y'all said earlier, we uh, we are built for community because we serve a God who who exists in community. Interesting also to take us all the way back to uh, the opening chapters of Genesis that the only thing that was considered not good in the garden was a, a, a solitary human being. You know, everybody, you know, everything else was good, but it was not good for Adam to be alone. I think we can apply that even more broadly than just a marriage relationship. Definitely, a, you know, definitely other types of partnerships um, that the church can, uh, that the church in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can provide. Gentlemen, I really appreciate y'all's time. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, okay? Thanks for the opportunity.